Welcome to HEAL. On today's episode, Dr. Jamal Atella challenges us to look at what it will take to transform conventional healthcare and shares his own journey from surgery to being board certified in integrative lifestyle medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Marshall. I think we can just kind of dive in here. And you were somebody I particularly thought about because of you're a medical doctor, you're a nephrologist. Is that how you would actually describe it? And then specialize in hypertension disorders. And, you know, in the time of the 10 years, you and I have known each other, I've watched you expand into more interest in integrative medicine, nutrition, holistic, what we would call holistic medical thinking. And you, for me, I don't know that it lives for you this way, have been one of the, the breakthrough pioneer MDs that I think about when I look to what could be possible. If, you know, we'll get into this today, but if nothing else, just even your willingness and want to understand a broader scope of medicine beyond pharmaceuticals being our only intervention in chronic illness and occasionally, you know, surgery, but a lot of times surgery really is a last resort under those kinds of chronic conditions. And, and then where you've shared with me that I'm sure we'll get into today is like what you've struggled with is, okay, you have a passion for holistic medicine and a very different approach than what you were originally instructed in as a medical doctor. But now what do you do about it? Like, how can you express that and where can you make a difference? And, and is it going to be in the office? Is it not going to be in the hospital? Is it going to be, you know, what, what does that actually look like? So I think starting out with a reality check about these statistics is important. It's something mm-hmm. I've, I've talked a lot about, which is, I think that that is so normal to people. It almost doesn't mm-hmm. create an impact. Correct. Of course, uh, everybody gets disease, Right. Yes, yes. And often you think when you hear about the statistic, well, it's going to affect somebody else, you know? Yeah. Nadia and I, we were in a, in a conference in Florida. You might have heard about them, the truth about cancer. Yeah. And, and, and you know, when they shared these statistics about cancer, we kind of looked at each other. So, like, one out of two Americans at one point will be diagnosed with cancer. Talking about just, you know, being real, you know, right. just kind of we looked at each other. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and that I mean some of it is also the system the way we describe death in particular like on a death certificate you have to die of something. Like mm-hmm. do we have a box that says this person lived a great healthy life and died of old age naturally? Like I don't actually know that that really I mean we come like there's something there was a cardiac mm-hmm. event or pneumonia or you know there'll be something and then we right. get into global health, you deal away with some different things beyond, you know, with a lot more infectious disease and other issues become a, a way bigger play at it. At, but it's still yeah. Yeah. human caused in the sense that sanitary, yeah. mm-hmm. hard, you know, yeah. So that reality that diseases. we all are going to die of a chronic illness has just become like the water we swim in. And we don't think that that's that weird. Exactly. You know, heart disease being the number one cause. And it might be good to kind of delve into this list blue zone communities around the world and, and people who live, you know, to be above 100 and then just they die. 
those become the anomaly, you know, yeah. and we speak about them and we kind of study them. What, what's special about these people? What, how come they live more than a hundred years, maybe 120, and then they just die, you know, yeah. without spending the last 30 years of their life visiting doctor's offices. Yeah. You know, it's kind of, it's, it's refreshing to see, like, it, it's quite, quite uh, refreshing to see what's, you know, what's among them, you know, what is the common dominator in all of them, right? Uh-huh. You know, they eat plant-based diet, you know, they move all the time. They don't necessarily go to the gym or do races, but they're always moving, right? Whether they're shepherd or they're, whether they're farmers or yeah, so you know, it might be it might be something to kind of reflect on. You know, well, and what uh, what have you seen in the research around that? Like, what have you discovered about what's unique about these communities of people that creates this environment of what looks to be ideal health? They live great lives and then die of old age at a very ripe old age for our standards of over a hundred. Like, what have you seen about that, and right. what you've discovered? So there's. So they, there's five communities worldwide that they are known as Blue Zoner, okay? There's one in California, in Luma Linda. There's one in Okinawa, Japan. There's one in Costa Rica. There's one in Italy. And I'm blanking on the last one. But, but, but people, they went and studied them and they found like eight qualities in these people, basically, that they, they it united all of them. There's a lot of, you know, stuff that, make you healthy, but they just found eight common denominator amongst, amongst them. So, so as I said, uh, they have a purpose. Mm. They all have a purpose. They all live, as they said, with the right tribe. You know, you spend your life with the right community, with the right tribe. They eat mostly plant, plant-based diet. They don't eat till they're full. So, you know, it's, it's a common amongst them is that they eat till like 80% of, of their stomach. They don't feel satiated when they leave food. Isn't that's that interesting, that one, because like, I don't think that's been highlighted as much, even in my exposure to longevity medicine and things is that we talk a lot about a nutrient dense low calorie, like, like I did have my nutrition professor in naturopathic school yeah. was a major proponent of vegan diets. And he talked a lot about, Mm -hmm. you know, getting the most amount of nutrition, nutrient dense foods, which we often think of as nuts, seeds, legumes, and like very dense vegetables. And then like a minimal calorie diet, but that sounds different than just, it's more applicable to just say, we'll eat until you're 80% full. Like I actually can imagine that as a reality yeah. in my life. Whereas the yeah. other one is a little harder for me. It's conceptual, but it's harder for me to imagine practicing it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So they leave that, they leave the meal, you know, they leave the table and not feeling full. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They leave it, they leave a space. Okay. They don't, they don't live an over driven life. It's always on the run. You know what I'm uh-huh. saying? Like I got to jump, I got to run. I, they're busy, they're, they have a full life, but it's not, there's not that over, you know, what they call it, low gear, low gear life. And then family first. That's, that's, I think that's, that's sort of the qualities that I remember. Interesting. And what, I mean, can you say more for you, what you're present to about family first? I mean, we live in a time where 
you know, family ties is fading away. Right. It's very, very casual. You see people, I haven't talked to my mom for 10 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, My dad and I are not in good terms. I haven't spoken to my brothers. They're jerks. Whatever it is, right? You know, it's, you know, but they don't know what what, what impact has on them. Yeah. And on their family to live disconnected, you know, like that has that you could run till the cows come home, right? You could go to the gym, but, but if there's, if, if your relationship with your, your parents are, are, uh, are not in good shape, right. You, you might not be present how much that's impacting your health. Yeah. And let's assure your parents' health as well. Yeah. You know, so that's the sad reality that we deal with, that we deal with, you know, this time that we live in. And I think there's, I mean, there's a lot of complexity to that because as, you know, I, I have really, truly a very small window view into the world. Like if I deal in reality Mm. with Mm. my exposure and I consider myself a pretty worldly person, but, but if I tell the truth, Mm. like, I, I mean, at most I'm exposed to maybe, 10,000 people's lives and views, including like Facebook and television and the news. And, Mm -hmm. you know, like, so out of 7.8 billion people, I basically have no clue what human beings Mm. are really dealing with unless I've read it in an article and it's where, you know, or a book that somebody else has made the assessment. So if I like tell the truth about everything that there is for me to know about all of the people's lives on the planet, I basically am guessing with what I'm about to say. to set up the qualifier. But what I see from my little keyhole view is that there's a shift in conversation about trauma and child abuse and childhood neglect. And I've actually had this conversation recently with some family members where one hand we could say it's on the rise but on the other hand, we could say our cultural standards have changed. There, there was a time where my impression is when, you know, we knew that only 20% of children who were born were going to survive to adulthood. And you had children to create a workforce to contribute to the farm, the family. It, they were a resource. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, 150 to 200 years ago, five and six-year-old children would do a lot of work that today by our standards would be considered insane to ask a a toddler essentially, or a young child to do. Right. And that wasn't considered abusive in that cultural context. So then that's where we get into really interesting territory, which is the language and the cultural conversation we're in and how that impacts us. That being said, I can imagine a lot of people saying, yeah, I haven't talked to my dad in 10 years. He was a jerk and he was horrible to me as a child. How could it be healthy for me to have that relationship with him? Right, right. But, but, but the reality is that we hear more of these stories than what we've ever used to. Yeah. We, you know, family structure as we know it in, in, in the state or otherwise, 30 years ago, it wasn't even close, Fam- yeah. you, know, the, you know, to what we deal with now and the impact of the new way of life and the social media and, you know, the rush for more jobs and the economy impact and all of that, right? Has, right. has definitely a, a great impact on the way how we live life yeah. and how we relate to each other, you know? So that, that f- social fabric have completely changed. Yeah. 
you know, so, so, and then, you know, so then what kind of impact that has on people? Yeah. Whether, whether they know it or not. See, that's yeah. the thing. Most of the time they just don't know it sometimes. I just yeah. don't, I don't sleep well. Right. And I, 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 I don't have energy. Okay. But then when you start unpacking, you discover, you know, some, some things that there's no way anyone would be healthy having it in their history or not complete with it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Not being able to come to a place of wholeness about those incidences or those things that happen to us throughout our lives or things we've had to deal with. And, you know, I see it, you know, my practice is 90% lifestyle medicine. I mean, I also use herbs and homeopathy, but I have the opportunity to, to work with people really intimately about Mm -hmm. these kinds of things. And like, you were saying like, you can run all the marathons and you can go to the gym and train all you want, but if you're incomplete with your family members and what I see is not Mm. always, but a lot of times, and people listening can try this on that people who are highly driven to exercise, there is a component of that's in compensation of other places in their life that they don't have peace of mind. And they, they say like, I have to exercise every day or my anxiety is so high. And I find that when we get to the roots of some of the mm. things they've dealt with and that gets resolved, mm. they, they're not so driven to be a triathlete yeah. and run marathons. There's a point where they get to a place of peace or they choose it from an entirely different context. Now it really is about like, oh, well, what can my body do and how can I train and challenge myself? And it's not mm-hmm. coming from to as a coping mechanism for things that they've dealt with. And that can be in any area of lifestyle, you know, food, video games, internet consumption, you know, exercise it can be in all of those and like you said about sleep yeah i see too the places where people have unresolved challenges emotionally and it has a direct correlation into mm. difficulties with sleep and regular sleep and dealing with insomnia yeah yeah and and part of the crisis that we live in this country is that we don't have a whole lot of healthcare provider follow the same approach that you follow so yeah. you know in like delving to the to the to, to where the issue is you know, okay, I'd write you prescription out of the door, 10 minutes, right. write my notes, right? That's the kind of healthcare that we live anymore, unfortunately, yeah. you know? So when we talk of healthcare transformation, the, we, we ought to, at one point, confront these issues, right? And, and, and see what, how you'd want to move about it as, as a healthcare provider or, or otherwise, or as legislator, you know? people often expect from this party or that candidate and stuff to, you know, transform health. Well, it's way deeper than that, right? It has to do with people's choices and the lifestyle that we live in and all of that. But but behooves us, I think, to 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 really start having that these kind of conversation to 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 deal with 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 these crises that we, we we see on a daily basis. So how has it been for you? I mean, you've you've like, tell me a bit about your background in history. Like how long have you been practicing medicine and where did you study? I finished medical school in uh, 1991 from Damascus University. I won't tell you how old I was. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the year I started Let me ask you this. Were you there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So in any rate, and I came right away to the United States. Okay. So, and I did my training and I've been, so, you know, the United States is home anymore. That's where my children were born. And yeah. And I did training in, in, in medicine in 
nephrology yeah. and uh, hypertension and also in interventional nephrology. So I'm, I, I kind of do you know, some procedures that has to do with that dialysis access to poke people on dialysis machine. They need you know, some particular vascular surgeries and stuff. So that's the bulk of what I, and then my, my passion for the holistic health as I shared with you before, you know, probably the last 10 years or so. Yeah. Yeah. And were you and Nadia together when you were in Damascus or did you meet here in the United States? We met in Syria, but no, when I came here, we, I wasn't married, Okay. but, but then, you know, we met in Syria. Yeah. Yes. Nadia. I'm just talk. privileged yeah. to know her as well. And she's an absolute joy and radiant beam of heart and love and light. And so you're, you're a lucky guy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm blessed. I have to yeah. say. <laughs> and then she, she trained, did you say she's a pathologist? Cause she went to medical school as well. I thought. Yeah. 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 She's a pathologist. She reads hematopathology and flow cytometries and she does it online. Okay. So she has that privilege to do other things in life and, and she continued her medical career. Yeah. Uh, mainly virtually. Awesome. And four kiddos. And four kiddos. That's right. Yep. How old are they now? So my youngest is a senior in high school, Sana, and then my oldest, Yusuf, he's uh, 24. Excellent. Awesome. So I have a boy, he's the oldest, and three girls. Oh, that keeps you busy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Good. So when we look at, you know, you've, you've spent the majority of your career inside the conventional allopathic medical system, and where do you see that that's working and where do you see that it's it's i want to say failing but maybe that's too strong of a word but like what what can you say from being on the inside of the system as a practitioner who's also delved into you know lifestyle medicine so like what what do you see that we do really well with conventional medicine and where are the places where we're falling short sure I remember like even during my medical school even the first second year I would go volunteer in the emergency room I was like, you know, that's, there's excitement, there's adventure. And I would go volunteer in like in my summertime and, and I'm paid, but just as something that I enjoyed. And we would see people with, you know, car accidents and heart attacks and, and we, you know, do sutures and all of that. That was very exciting to me. And I, I still think that, you know, the, this part of medicine, this is the acute medicine is really, we do well in allopathic medicine, you know, we deliver care that we don't imagine, we didn't imagine not long ago. And so, you know, all of the acute care, you name it, you know, heart, stroke, trauma, you know, and that, that part I enjoyed, I still enjoy, you know, that, you know, making an acute difference with people's life. You know, you walk into a situation where somebody is coding and I, you know, and making a difference for them. That, that's really fulfilling. And, and I think that's where really allopathic medicine shine. Yeah. Right. And for us lay people, what does coding mean? Code, you know, when like they have cardiopulmonary arrest. Okay. Right. So near death. <clears throat> In a hospital setting, yeah. near yeah. death. Right. Yeah. You, you know, and I could tell you story after stories. Like I worked in emergency room for six years and that, and, and I, and I have, you know, amazing memories, sad and, and happy and, but, but all of it is exciting. And it's, you know, to me is like very, very fulfilling because you make, you know, and make a difference right there and then. 
right? And I think that, and that's, I think that's, that's really allopathic medicine do amazing there. I do see, however, in opportunities when it comes to chronic diseases, okay? And, and what I mean by that, you know, diabetes, high blood pressure, cardiovascular disease, cancer, autoimmune disease. I do see an opportunities, whether in this country or worldwide, for allopathic medicine to really look into it uh, and see what we can learn. Because, you know, in reality, you know, we, we let me tell you about this country. We, we spend probably more than double, and I'd want to compare us with other, yeah. you know, Western, Western country. Yeah. yeah, developed, you know, developed countries. We spend, we spend more than double per person for healthcare. And our statistics, unfortunately, is not the greatest. We have the highest rate of obesity. We probably have the worst mortality at birth. You know, when you compare us to, to Sweden, let's say we're double Sweden in that, right? And the reason is that we don't spend enough money on prevention. See, that's the opportunities that I, that I do see yeah. as, as healthcare provider is to really have this kind of zoom out look and see what, what we're doing that we need to adjust or what's an opportunities that we could take on to really make our you know, practice of medicine even greater or better right? That's where the opportunity is, you know, and, and if you, if you, you know, you know, you know, if you see, that's mostly what we encounter as physician. We see people with diabetes, you know, heart disease, cancer, right? And we spend, you know, the expenditure of the, of the American budget is about three point, about three trillion dollars. I mean, sit with this number. This is, and still, in, in it ever ever increasing. Yeah, this is unsustainable. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. And still, we're not doing greatest. So mm-hmm. well, let's let's look and see. You know what what we're missing. You know, and you know from my personal experience and from all you know what I've witnessed from around me. That's that's a, an opportunity that we really haven't you know you know banked on. Right. It's to look into like we need to transform the way that we practice and approach chronic diseases. Yeah. And I mean, I know that this is going to be just our thoughts and opinions, but, you know, I've thought a lot about like, how do we actually do that? And, you know, is it starting with, you know, introducing a different level of training in medical school? So physicians are literally exposed to a series of different conversations. And I've wondered too, like, if that's something that I could potentially contribute is like, it may not be that physicians are necessarily the ones that are going to have the hands-on that they're going to be doing the dietary lifestyle coaching. But I think if physicians aren't trained in the effectiveness of these therapies, if they don't witness the difference that they can make, if they don't have a personal experience with them as valid interventions, it's not going to have the support throughout the chain. But at the same time, the way we work inside of insurance and the compensation mechanisms for physicians, it doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense to have the physician be the one spending the time to go over the diet plan or introduce detox to them. You know, and I think that's one of the places we've struggled with 
do we bring new professionals in? Is there, is there a need for literally, I mean, there's been a lot of conversation and there are at the ground level, there are a lot of people getting trained as health coaches, but I don't know of a lot of health coaches being hired and utilized effectively inside the allopathic system. It's still external to predominantly. What do you see about that? Yeah, 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 totally. I agree, but I think also things are changing. There's mm-hmm. a lot of healthcare provider, they're, they're recognizing this. And you know, for the last year, I'm part of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine and I'm board certified with them. And they really have made an impact. So they recognize that 90% of chronic diseases is something that we could control and reverse often. Yeah. Reverse. I could quote you multiple studies. I'm, and I'm not talking here, you know, I'm talking solid evidence-based medicine. Right. Uh, you know, part of my board was to kind of grapple with all these studies and try to get them in. And there's too many of them, right? Where it shows that, you know, putting people on, you know, exercise program, some yoga and some social uh, worker cons- you know, consult produce better result than left heart catheterization with, with people who with lesions in their coronary. And that's proven by repeating their coronary angiogram and finding mm-hmm. that these lesions are no more just on lifestyle. Yeah. So, so American College of Lifestyle Medicine have really, it's expanding every, every year I go to their conference. It's, it's wonderful to see that you'd see people and you'd see physician and healthcare provider worldwide worldwide that really getting into this conversation and what we need to do about it. And now, uh, as you suggested brilliantly, introducing uh, nutrition courses and lifestyle courses into medical schools. Yeah. They will tell, they will show you a map like, Oh, and you'd see, and it's very refreshing to see that in most metropolitan areas now courses about nutrition and about lifestyle is part of the curriculum now of awesome. if, of medical school and residency programs and some whole lot of other work. For instance, as you also said about the time and where, where physician allocate time to deal with patient, there's this new concept of group visits mm-hmm. where people, you know, have, you know, you, you, the healthcare provider see a group of people, group of patients, right? But then he would, you know, or she would educate them or spend the quality time with them collectively. And then still there's a little time that they could have in private to do physical or to do other conversation that they can do in group. Yeah. And how this model is really working, you know, so the patients getting the quality education and training and coaching that they need. The physician, they're really feeling they're making a difference yeah. in people's life because, well, they're spending a lot of time, but they, with a the group of people. And then those same group of people, they go next to see the, you know, dietitian, and they, they go and see the, the, the physical therapist or whatever it is. And they move in the system in an efficient way that really works for, for them. They're yeah. very happy and satisfied and you know, at the same time, logistically and financially and, and things, a model that works. So this is now more talked about more and more and, and more models are coming yeah. to really address these issues. Yeah. And I yeah. mean, I, I am familiar with 
you know, one of my neighbors actually has participated at her cancer treatment through the Huntsman Cancer Institute in Salt Lake City, Utah. And Huntsman is known for being very open and very on the cutting edge of a holistic approach to oncology. And Mm. she gets offered meditation classes, which she'd never considered doing before she went to Huntsman. And it was her oncologist that introduced her to meditation. And Mm. they have all sorts of nutrition information, cooking classes, like they've really looked at where, you know, and, and then there's, I've seen mostly I'm familiar with it in Utah where hospitals have incorporated having gyms on site. And there's also some gyms and medical facilities where half of it is just your regular community gym. Mm -hmm. And on the other half is more something between primary care and urgent care. And, and you can go get lifestyle workups, you can get cardiac workups, you can go. And so it brings another level of also data management to people who want to go to the gym and track that. And you get to have it under the same roof. And I, at one level, like, does it matter that it's in the same building? But I think structurally that creates the literal relationship between a healthcare model and your medical treatment is happening in a way that the, the whole environment is more about how you're living every day you know, and the difference that makes. And and the government have recognized this. And now, not as as widespread as you would want to see, but definitely there's a program. I'll give you an example. Dr. Dean Ornish, who's a cardiologist, you know, he, after he presented the data, now there's a programs that people with stable coronary artery disease, meaning they have lesions. They would have, you know, historically gone to the cardiologist and got a stent, they're assigned to these kind of programs and the government pay for them. Yeah. Medicare has been paying for and it. Yeah. They get better, better. Exactly. They get better result for half of the cost. Yeah. And some of those, with, I mean, with what a whole I remember lot more from it is like a 12 week program that included diet, yoga, meditation, and social conversations, which I want to get into with you next. And often what happened is in the groups that everyone was so connected with each other, the program ended at the end of 12 weeks, and then they created a way to keep talking to each other or to keep meeting because that social component also came Mm. in, which there's tons of research in that department as well. I particularly know about a lot of it around breast cancer that they've done studies that show people who are dealing with breast cancer have a significantly increased rate of success, non-reoccurrence, health after their treatments when they have a supportive social environment around them, whether it's friends, family, or whatever kind of community. And I think we kind of started some of the conversation here when we were talking about those indicators of those blue communities and one of them being about family first and they have a sense of purpose and there's this social fabric. And I think more in the last Mm. 10 years, we've started to discover you know, I've seen statistics around epigenetics that shows it. Yeah. Diet is Mm -hmm. important. Like for me, I always talk about it. Like we're building a house and if you don't pour a good concrete foundation, you're going to have a pretty rough time putting up a solid structure for the rest of the house. And that's what the diet is. The diet is that concrete floor, but it isn't the whole thing. It's not, I mean, we've also run those studies where we've just put people on nutritional changes and it'll get some people only so far but without altering their social environment, without them having a sense of belonging, community, family, love, mm-hmm. you're just not going to get the yes. same results. 
Yeah, and so and I want to totally support what you're saying, Sarah. And and so one land for people like you know touchy feely kind of things. There is something in medicine called the Rosetto effect that people could look it up. Rosetto is a small town in Pennsylvania that in in the 1960, I think 61, people recognized that there is a staggering difference between Rosetto, which is an American Italian community that lived in that town, they have a whole lot better mortality related to cardiac disease and heart attacks, right? And it was like staggering difference. Like there's something special about this community, right? So they, they went and a group of researchers went and studied Rosetto. And they said, it's gotta be the Italian diet. I know it, you know, the oil and, right? Yeah, yeah. They found out that they eat the worst kind of food. <laughs> you know, meatball and in, in whatnot, right? But then later discovered the secret and it become known as the Rosetta effect that this community is socially tight, you know, where, where generation live together and they, and they meet on a daily basis and they yeah. t- take care of each other's. This survival advantage was lost when kind of more this community, more you know, this community transformed more into the normal, you know, standard, you know, lifestyle. But for 50 years, Rosetto, due to their social structure, have a survival advantage. That still, you know, yeah, it, it for for us to reflect on, you know, yeah. and it, they we call it now, medicine Rosetto effect. Yeah. That's pretty remarkable. I mean, I've, I've seen studies around and I've talked about it on the podcast before longevity studies that showed that how we culturally respect our elders, like, are they respected as a source of knowledge and wisdom that is a asset Mm. to our culture, which Mm. was one of the things in international communities that differentiated places that had a high level of centrarians and people that lived over being a hundred years old was because yeah. as you were elderly, you were gaining a community mm. standing and stature of being a source of knowledge, wisdom. You were considered mm. a country, like you said, a sense of purpose, a contributing member of society. And in communities like our Westernized American community is we tend to highlight as long as somebody's still in their working years into their 60s and maybe mid 70s. And it's interesting because my parents, you know, my dad's about to turn 76 and mm-hmm. my mom just turned 74. And, you know, people are pretty shocked to find out my parents are mm-hmm. in their 70s. I mean, if you look at them, it's not like, I mean, they look 70, you know, like, right, 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 right. but they live independently. My dad walks every single day. They have a sailboat that they maintain. Like they, they have fully, nothing about their life is deficient. They have completely massively active lives and are up to things. And I think actually there's a lot of people in their seventies and even their eighties that that's true for, but culturally, if you say Mm. somebody 75, what we think of, what comes to mind is an Mm. elderly person that's not able to take Mm. care of themselves. And, and culturally it's like, we don't yet even live in reality about what's possible in at that time. And we consider it like my parents are considered unique and you know, I like to take a little credit that they've been practicing naturopathic medicine with me for the last 15 years. And we have had disease reversal for both mm. of them. That being said, though, I think that we have a cultural 
opinion that maybe isn't a match for reality and then also you know what does it look like like how do we expand that conversation how do we actually shift to honoring these members of our society and have them be important members of our community that can still work contribute you know i mean i don't i don't know what that's going to take yeah yeah, yeah. i know it's it's a critical component of this conversation Yeah. yeah totally i mean it's uh it's kind of, it's an invite us to look at really what we deem important in our life and how vanity plays, you know, plays a a role in how we evaluate things and how we evaluate ourselves. You know, we worth what we look, you know, we often, everything around us invite us to look good, you know, lose that weight, gain that weight, this, you know, it's it all talks about outside, right? You're not going to see, a, you know, an advertisement, you know, talking about inner values, right? Yeah. Uh, so it's just, it's just, it's just for us as a culture, right? As a global culture to look and see what we deem important anymore. Yeah. And that's what you would expect and that people, that's something that people used to experience in the past is that as you, as you age, you become more valuable to the community because now you have more experience to share, you know, you have more time to share. Unfortunately, we do see that missing anymore. And it's again, it's a global thing, right? The globalization of, you know, what, is, what we deem value, you know, what we deem valuable, mm-hmm. what we deem, pre- you know, precious, Yeah, you know, so it's for us to reflect on. Yeah, absolutely. And then in your own life, you know, how has this played out for you personally with you have a passion in holistic medicine and your your day job, mm. <laughs> you still go to the hospital every day. So what is right. it like, what has been the most challenging part about this for the last 10 years for you? Yes. So I think, you know, a lot of the physician probably who, who are allopathic doctors could probably relate to what I'm going to share is that, you know, you recognize that what really makes a difference, right? Talking about these simple things yet very powerful in the common sense. And it comes with great sense of excitement. You know, I could tell you, like, I've been adopting a lot of the practices that I've learned from my nutrition study and from my lifestyle into my practice as a kidney doctor in downtown Phoenix. And I can't tell you the excitement that comes when people are able to lose some weight, drop some medication or cut down the doses. Uh, now they're able to walk more and, they, and I show them on the graph. I kind of flip my laptop and I say like, listen, this is where you came and you see like how you lost the weight and you see how GFR, which is the kidney function, mm-hmm. how it kind of improved. And they see this and they become a believer. And so... However, you know, I do function in a system that for good or bad, you know, you're kind of restricted about a certain, uh, certain structure that it allows you to do so much, right? So I think a lot of the physician who, or healthcare provider who wanted to really take this on and, and fly with it or do something with it with their patients, are confronted by functioning within a system that does not really give you a lot of slack, mm-hmm. you know? So 
for me personally, you know, taking on some of this, applying it to my daily practice has really made a difference. But also on the side, I, I've kind of with like-minded people have created some structure as well that we play with it. And it's a community programs that we've launched. And I can't tell you like the excitement, the results that, that, that people were able to produce out of doing it together. So we, we launched a program, it's called Detoxathon, okay? And Detoxathon, is, it's based on a simple idea. As one of the German, French philosopher, physician has said before, Dr. Albert Schwitzer, he said, it's supposed to be a secret, but we physicians don't do anything. Mm. We merely encourage and nurture the physician within. If, if you leave your body, if you cut out the toxin or kind of toxin, including emotional and social and spiritual, then we heal. Our body are designed to heal. So, so we designed a, a program that, that, you know, kind of educate people and in an exciting way about, okay, doing that, how I detox, right? So, so, you know, the first time we did it, we did it with juicing. You know, we did one week of juicing and people met and they brought, you know, a, a healthy dish and it was a comp competition, which one is the winner with the healthy dish. But then we launched this one week of just juicing, right? And people would juice the lemon and they add a little ginger to it and they play with it. And it's such an excitement and connection time. And people did the program. I, I tell you, you know, I would have not been able to do it for one week just on juicing, right? But everybody did it. And I can't just tell you like how people, how excited people were, the kind of result that they accomplished. Mm -hmm. You know, people would say, oh, I've lost 12 pounds. You know, people, I, I, I swear I had shoulder pain for the last two years and it's gone, you know? So, you know, it's about, but these are still kind of more experiment. Yeah. I wish that there is, you know, there would be a, a way that to, to expand on this, whether personally or as, as a community to make this as a standard to yeah. create, you know, create excitement. I tell you, it's depressing, you know, when you deal with reality in, in, in what we encounter in the offices and the hospitals, you know, people in their 60s and 70s spending most of their life between doctor's offices with, with, a, with a bag full of bottles of medicines. That's not pretty exciting. Mm -hmm. That's pretty depressing. And I can't, and on the other hand, I, could, I tell you, like the excitement you see when people are able to accomplish results in their health yeah. and see the difference and touch the difference. Oh my God, it's day and night, Sarah, yeah. day yeah. and night. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, as in my journey, I mean, I'm experimenting with things. I hope it would, you know, it would take me and take, you know, take what I'm trying to do. And more importantly, you know, for people to take on something that restore healing, you know, restore healing as a concept that healing yeah. is not taking pills. Healing is not, these are crutches. I tell my patients, I prescribe medicine all the time, by the way, but I tell them, I need medicine, they're right. Listen, this is a crutch. 
This is not the healing. The healing is you do. And you do by, you know, sleeping well and by seeing what's incomplete in your life and by eating well. And I just give them specifics, sometimes direct them to some of the documentaries. Mm -hmm. Try to be creative with the little time that I, that I have to spend because again, I'm, I'm restricted with the, with, the, with the system. But I tell you, like with the little that I've been practicing, I can't tell you how excited they were and I was. That's what's pretty amazing about it is, you know, it's, it's really good for me to get this reflection because I swim at the other end of the pond, <laughs> you know, where we are like all in completely immersed in, you know, lifestyle medicine and naturopathic medicine. And it's easy for me to get jaded that like, unless everyone does it to that extent, it's not going to make a difference. But the reality is mm. actually one of the things that always impresses me. And I remember I had a patient early, early on. It was like the first three or four months of my practice. I was in Bozeman, Montana. And being in a small town, we kind of got a pretty diverse group of people who came to us. And I had a gentleman come in who was in stage four kidney uh, cancer. And he'd already been back and forth to John Hopkins and had gone through varying, I don't remember all the details of his chemotherapy journey, but he'd been through a lot. Mm -hmm. And he was more or less at the mm. end of his life at this point in time. And I'm a brand new baby doctor. My eyes are like, blink, blink, blink. Like, what mm. do I do with this guy? And it was really <laughs> confronting because I wasn't about to, like, I wasn't there to treat the uh -huh. cancer. I was there to support him, you know, in whatever way I could. And right. I remember for financial reasons, the only thing we did with him mm. was I gave him a, a flower essence, which is a homeopathic preparation specifically for the emotions. And they're like five right. bucks a bottle. And I gave him yes. uh, instructions to do castor oil packs to help his liver. And I gave him instructions mm. to end his showers with a cool to cold spray to just turn the temperature down to help with lymphatic circulation. And that right. was it. That is all we did. Yes. And in two yes. months, he said he'd had a 30 to 50% increase in his energy levels. That's amazing. And yeah. He passed away that summer and there mm. was this like, opening that happened. Mm. And I, that case always yeah. sticks with me about how mm -hmm. powerful when you do give the body a healing mechanism, something that helps increase their nutrition and decrease toxicity. It's yes. remarkable how much you can make an impact with really what to me looks yeah, like yeah, yeah. a simple and small intervention. So it's yes. awesome to hear this from your perspective too, to just remember actually, mm -hmm. And, and a lot of times, like we can call it like gateway treatments instead of gateway drugs. These are all yeah. like, they, yeah. they plant a seed, they open something for somebody that the experience of which, you know, in kidney disease, mm -hmm. a seven day juice cleanse is probably not going to handle the whole disease, but it cracks something open. And then people have a visceral experience of their body yes. actually being able to shift and change and heal. And I know for myself, you know, finding medical doctors like you who are even willing to speak in this terminology is, is phenomenal because it opens up mm -hmm. possibilities. And I've had right. people come to me who say, you're the first and only doctor that's ever said that it's even possible for me to reverse this. Mm -hmm. And that's a place where I do think that there absolutely should be training at the level of, of medical schools to have conversations about and I've, you know, this has been a big, this is a soapbox warning. This is one of my soapboxes is yeah. like, who are we as physicians to tell people what is and isn't possible in their lives? 
Now I get that there is good mm. reason to share prognosis, but prognosis comes from our research, which that's a whole nother thing of like what right. we research and where the medicine and the money goes to research and, and how that all, you know, that, but like, really like, who are we to decide truly what prognosis is and yeah. leave people in a space of what they think is and isn't possible because there's a lot. And I'm also not in that airy fairy world of like, anybody can heal everything. Like, no, I mean, the body can get overwhelmed and it reaches a point where it's just not going to turn around, but well-being can be injected totally. socially. Well-being can be injected, you know, from a heartfelt, like you said, being complete about things in your life, even if the physical body is beyond reproach in that same sense. Yes. Yes. No, totally. I mean, as you said, you know, I totally 100% agree with that. And sometimes just be in the listening of what's missing in this person's particular life. Sometimes it's not the the three month chemo treatment course that is needed. Yeah. But the, but but the standard of care it becomes like an algorithm. Things people walk into a healthcare like they walk into a you know car wash. They're just passive water is splashing in their face and then the soap and they have no say, right? Yeah. Versus a model where a healthcare provider like you would see like, what is appropriate? Maybe if I listen to that patients, you know, see, I, I, you know, patients are shocked sometimes when they see a doctor who really not speak, but listen, it's not about breaching to them you know, it's, it's, it's very disturbing, you know, like, you know, people walk into a doctor's office and hear this majesty doctor, you know, preaching to them, their wis his wisdom and not really knowing where they stand. Mm -hmm. Maybe, as you said, what's missing is not, it's not something, it's maybe something small that really make the difference in the quality of their life for however long that life is. Yeah. You know, so you, the, the patient that you made a difference with He's advanced cancer. He probably would have died anyway, right? But he could have, you know, he could have spent whatever that time is, you know, with devastated. I've seen my own parents do that, withering away, right? Versus seeing like what's missing. Maybe that's that's not what they need. Yeah. You know, these kind of these kind of you know, simple but yeah, very very powerful thing. I feel like as a as a healthcare provider. We, it behooves us to really kind of re-examine what we're doing and to up our game, yeah. you know, to really, really make a, make a difference, not just, you know, change practice into mechanical things. Right. Yeah. And yeah. The, the bringing, and I know at the personal physician level, often there's a lot of desire for this. And then, like you said, we, we have a challenge in front of us that it daunts me like crazy of like, well, there's an entire institution. There's a whole system built around this that is above mm -hmm. and beyond just if we got all the physicians in a room and we talked to them about how they would like, you know, one of my stands has been, we could transform medicine if we freed up every physician mm -hmm. to practice true to their heart. We don't even have to teach yes. them lifestyle medicine. I mean, that would be great, right. <laughs> but yeah. just to let physicians be the ones that are working with the person in front of them and making the choice a hundred percent that they feel is in the best interest of this person, that mm. alone would transform the industry and physician satisfaction, which we could do a whole yeah. nother podcast on 
the challenges that yes. physicians and I and we've been saying physicians through this because we are, but nurses, the whole supportive staff, the administrative staff totally. that work in hospitals and in medical right. facilities, you know, billing yes. the whole that all of those human beings that are there yeah. inside supporting that, you know, it's unfortunate and it shows something about what we've got to deal with that one of the most unhealthy mm. work environments to to work in is the medical system. I have many patients in my practice who are all sorts of, you know, occupational therapists, ultrasound technicians, you know, people that are in different aspects mm-hmm. of medicine and they're dealing with a chronic illness. And one of the hardest things that we have to contend with is that every day they go to work in an environment that is a detriment to their health. And then we have to work yes. out that inside of that system. So that that's a clue that there's some things to shift about how we're operating as well and how we take yeah. care of our, our practitioners. Yeah. Yeah. People tell you like hospital food, they, they, they give you an example, like this is as bad as hospital food. It becomes like, <laughs> it should be, it should be that people go there for the food. That's, yeah. that's, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, and, and, but it's terrible food. It's not, you know, it's, it's, it's very unfortunate. And as you said, Sarah, it's, I kind of want to extend this even to non-healthcare provider because it, in one way or another, we all are healer, mm. seriously. And I'm not, I don't mean that as a cliche. Yeah. I really don't. Healing, I know you believe this and I, I'm, a, I'm a full believer of this, that healing, it's, it's restoring the body, the mind, the soul, the heart, right? And this is not... I'm not being, you know, this is reality. This is supported by data. So we all are a healer at one level, you know, uh, and I shared with you about, you know, Rosetto element. People were able just by having a solid social structure, able to beat, you know, any advances in cardiology, right? Invasive, putting stents in people, right heart. If we take this on, I mean, <clears throat> that would really transform our understanding and our living of the true meaning of healing. We're all healer at one level yeah. if, we, if we man up to it, you know, if we really understand it the way we ought to understand as it is, to see it as it is, not to have it, you know, diminished, you know, view of this holistic thing. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I've been thinking about this actually through the whole episode is like, it's great to talk about these things, but I want to leave us in a place where there's actually some actions to be taken, you know, that can Mm. make that difference. And Mm. I was thinking about, okay, given that we know isolation and loneliness and a lack Mm. of, of support through friendships Mm. and family massively contributes Mm. to people having difficulties in health, in finances, in education, in lots of different areas. Mm-hmm. I think we have a tendency to put the pressure on the person who's isolated that they need to go do something about it. But that's yes. like telling the person who's got the broken leg, they should be the one to walk across the room. Yes. And so actually, you know, for me personally, this time mm-hmm. during COVID has challenged me to mm-hmm. look at how do I take care of the people around me? What am I willing mm-hmm. to do to contribute and to be the one that reaches out, to be the one that asks them how they're doing, mm-hmm. to be the one to check in on people. Mm-hmm. Like, since I don't run into people socially, like mm-hmm. I did a year and a half ago, mm-hmm. I've noticed 
the phone calls changed and I don't have that same, you know, automatic built in chance to catch up with people. Mm. And it's challenged Mm. me to really notice for myself that I didn't have, I've got a shit structure for actually keeping tabs on all my friends and how they're doing. Like I, before I counted Mm. on going to a conference or ending up in an event, which was fine. And that was awesome. But since that's not been there, it's challenged Mm. me to really look. And actually this is an interesting anecdote. Mm. One of my friends, she did a letter project and she sent out, I think mm. she said 80 or 90 postcards to her friends. Mm. Two people wrote her back. I was not one of them. I'll be the first to admit mm. I got the postcard and I just got it. It was mm. like, I was so out of touch mm. with the habit that like the natural thing to do when you receive mm. a letter or postcard is to reply, right? I just didn't. And it was so mm. interesting. She mentioned this recently that and it just, mm. it just dawned on me, like, all right, I've got a lot to up level to notice what actions can I take? And some of it's with strangers mm-hmm. for sure. And, and random acts of kindness right. and saying hello to people, it, all of that makes a difference, but I've been challenging myself to particularly notice the people who are already in my life that I haven't been mm. catching up with, touching base with having a phone call, finding out what's going on in their life. And I just keep every week now yeah. I've been picking different people that just come to mind. Mm-hmm. If they come to mind, I reach out, I say, I send something and yeah, that's been a new practice for me. I think that's brilliant, Sarah. I mean, I really, if you are asking about actions to take right. something to leave this conversation with, I, I would invite people to take that and start with the closest to you. Yeah. Start, start with the people that you haven't spoken with for a long time in, in this close family circle, you know, Restore that and, and let's have a conversation after that and, I, and, and share with us the breakthroughs. Because yeah. I guarantee you, you'll have breakthroughs in, 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 you know, in health, in sleep, in vitality, right? Yeah. You wanted health? That's where health is. I, I, I guarantee you. And then, then door door opens up, right? You know, that definitely, you know, being responsible for your health is, is extremely critical, you know, and the, and the nutrition and the detox, right. these are stuff that we, we do, but it has to be on the foundation of like really looking at your whole body as a, as a, as a body, heart, mind, and soul, mm-hmm. you know, that's, 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 that's another area that people, it behooves us as, as a human being to look at, right? Like, yeah spiritually where we're at, you know, I know what we need to do to be complete, you know, in all of these areas, yeah. including spiritually. Yeah. And we've got, this has been a topic that's, that's run through the podcast all the way through. And, and if anybody's interested in a little bit more about particularly grief and being complete and addressing some of these places, there was an episode in season one on grief and grieving with Audra Boyd. And she talked a lot about like, how do we even address these components and what does it mean to be complete? You know, and, and for me, that completion and wholeness are often interchangeable. Mm. So what, what will make a relationship whole again? And that doesn't always mean you're going to be best friends with that person or have regular interaction, but it's about resolving regrets and resentments to a place of acceptance or peace and love and affinity can be something that comes out of it. And what I'm about to say is probably definitely oversimplified, but it's it's more about planting a seed to think about, which isn't it interesting that what you noted mm-hmm. about the Rosetto, Pennsylvania town is 
we say cardiac disease, but it's heart disease. It's a disease of the heart. And if we are willing to allow right. for that to be emotional, right. our heart, our community, mm. our family, I don't think it's an accident that those mm -hmm. two things are related. And then in diabetes, sure. I've had the conversations with clients about where might they have a less than healthy relationship to the sweetness of life. And it's not the whole story yes. with diabetes, but that can be like, do you allow the sweetness of life to come to you in all forms of relationships, intimacy, passion, mm. you know, and not mm -hmm. have it only be in this one area. And with cancer, often I have mm. people who I talk with and what they end up sharing is there's mm -hmm. deep seated places in their life of resentments or regrets that are yes. unresolved that yeah. eat us alive like a cancer. Uh. Like just Ugh. notice that that's actually something that we say in our language. And yes. there's a actual literal reality to the resolution of these challenges and histories and traumas in our life and how it correlates to our physical body healing that is as important as a diet and is as important as moving your body. It's, it's all yeah. very, very connected. That's brilliant. Yeah. It's really, really awesome. I, I really want to acknowledge you for this effort of, of going through putting something like this. People need this, especially at this time, because you, your approach is, is real, it's raw, it's, it touches people. I've listened to many of the episodes. It's just, it's just so uh, refreshing, you know? I mean, you yeah. might have not responded to your friend's card, but in a way you did. Uh-huh, yeah. In a way you did. You know I definitely, it was, it hit me. I was like, wow. Okay. I, I, that went right, went right yeah. past me. I didn't even see yeah. it, but now it's alive for me. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, listening to your, you know, you're listening to the podcast is people, people will yeah. get a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and you've been a massive contribution and I just, I really appreciate your friendship. I mean, we've, we've been able to bat ideas around between each other for a long time and also, you know, willingness to be here as a guest. It's, it's really important to me. You know, I could effortlessly interview dozens of naturopathic physicians and healers and shamans. And I want to, but I, I have a particular desire. Cause I had my own process of dealing with the conversation that I got confronted with when I first graduated of not being a real doctor and, and where I thought I fit into the hierarchy mm. and kind of wanting to hide out. And you mm. were actually one of the pivotal medical doctors mm. who I became friends with that shattered that conversation for me and opened mm. up this world of mutual admiration and respect. And yeah, that's just, it's priceless to me. And it, I think it's something that no. where we can come together as physicians and work together is going to make a huge difference. I didn't bestow that on you. This is something the, who you were in, in for me in my life. And this is, that was just real. And I can tell you how much I, I appreciate our friendship and, you know, yeah. the time that we got to uh, spend together and looking forward to maybe kind of collaborate on yes. more of these conversations. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Uh, Excellent. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you, Jamal. So, awesome. so much. And until we do this again. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you to today's guest, Jamal Attila, for his passion and stand to make a difference. Are you ready to take on your own health? I am now accepting new clients for 2021. It's typical for me to be full by mid-spring, so contact me now at sarahmarshallnd.com or on Instagram at sarahmarshallnd. For a full transcript and all the resources for today's show, 
visit sarahmarshallnd.com backslash podcast. Thank you for listening. Support and spread the word by leaving us a review on your favorite platform so we can heal our world. And as always, special thanks to our music composer, Roddy Nickpour, and our editor, Kendra Vicken. We'll see you next time.